You're listening to Work Tape, Episode 8. Welcome to another edition of the Work Tape Podcast. I'm Mitchell Palmer. Next to me, as always, Isaac Grover. What's good with the guys? Yeah, rocking the rocking the SpongeBob shirt. That never gets old, man. Dude, it never gets old. Yeah, you're never too old for a, a, a SpongeBob joke or reference, um, especially with the way that that's persisted in the meme culture as of recent. It's something that just is ever evolving. Yeah, yeah. and our our culture is uh, fueled by it. Pretty much. I mean, you, know, I mean, you look at most of the internet memes, and they're based in SpongeBob for sure. But only the first three seasons, though, because everything after the movie mm-hmm. took a little bit of a nosedive, but. Um, once I again, hear some deranged people say sometimes four or season five, but not nah, season three in the movie. And you know, what's really cool is that actually music has played kind of a big role in that series too. And highlighting some specific moments, of course, the band geeks episode being one. Oh, of wow. Them. You're really getting into that. Wait, are you talking about more so the production music or like the parodied music oh, where bo- the characters uh, play both because, okay, yeah. because even the production music that was playing in the background, a lot of that Hawaiian based top notch. Yeah. That Hawaiian based music is I think among some of the best kind of background. Was it Gypsy Dixie Jazz? Yeah, there's a lot of that, but there's also, like I said, that distinctly Hawaiian aesthetic, which, mm-hmm. you know, makes sense for it being, you know, a pineapple under the sea mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I think I remember hearing something about Bikini Bottom being very close to like Hawaii and Japan where like the nuclear testing was going on. Right. So there's a theory that, you know, all of those animals became anthropomorphized as a result of nuclear testing. Right. It was a toxic accident, I guess. Which actually makes a fair amount of sense, I would think. Not saying that it's real or not, but yeah. I no. think show theories are weird because it's already fiction to begin with. So, so I feel like it's just interesting to talk about, but these theories are just, they're just talk. Right, exactly. I mean, it's because people just want something to theorize over a little bit. I right. But um, no, I do think that some of that music has been quite influential in terms of people, especially in our generation who grew up with that show in particular. And of course, you still see a lot of that production music being used in backgrounds of YouTube videos, Mm -hmm. TikToks and whatnot will continue to use that as well. But um, I think it was a mix of, uh, you know, I hated the show, but everyone likes it. What's up? For me, uh, Ren and Stimpy. Yes. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Mm. At least with Nickelodeon. Actually, even in like Cartoon Network and a lot of other shows. Yeah. There's that basic stock music that a lot of these cartoons use. Right. So SpongeBob had a little bit of that. It had that Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life feel. Yeah. Music wise. But I think they really ventured into some original territory. Absolutely. And I think that that's the reason why the music continues to persist and transcended the show. Because in a lot of ways, when it comes to soundtracks for movies, soundtracks for television, there's only like really a select few that become that almost household name familiarity amongst the general public. And I think that's where SpongeBob resided. But it has been a little bit of time since we recorded last. And in that time span, a ton of new music has dropped. Coldplay uh, is dropping a new album in October, Music of the Spheres. They dropped this track, Coloratura almost a 10 minute progressive rock Pink Floyd. Yeah. I heard so much Pink Floyd, but whenever it's a 10 minute track, it's probably a Pink Floyd track. Yeah. But I mean, in a way, I think that while they did take some influence from Pink Floyd, definitely in terms of that extended prog rock base and foundation, I still think that it is distinctively Coldplay, mm-hmm. especially with a lot of the piano breaks and of course, Chris's vocals. And actually, I think the chorus on that song is pretty strong. And kind of reminds me of Rush of Blood. Which reminds me of Radiohead. 
Yeah, it gives me high hopes and high optimism for what the rest of the album is going to sound like. Higher optimism. Right. I mean, old head Coldplay fans might be a little bit off put by the fact that <laughs> cold head, cold heads. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which that sounds like a, a completely different type of band. That sounds like something very sadistic, cold heads. But oh, gosh, uh, now I'm thinking like all this murder. OK, well, anyway, but that's all right. I think a lot of the people who have been fans of them since the beginning, they were off put by the fact that as soon as they announced that the record was produced by Max Martin, I think that gave them like a little uh, because, you know, Max Martin being a pop aficionado, making arguably, maybe not even arguably, but some of the biggest tracks in recent music history. But he does have a distinct, very pop, trendy, mainstream style. Who has he worked with and any uh, rock bands? I don't think he's worked too much in the in the rock band realm. So I think that was probably one of the real causes for concern, because a lot of times he's worked with Justin Timberlake, the Backstreet Boys, most recently The Weeknd. Um, he did a lot of production on The Weeknd's last album. So you didn't really people didn't really hear him complimenting Coldplay's rock right, roots. Right. And there's always been this big argument that Coldplay has gone too far in the direction of pop really since Viva came out. And so I think there was a lot of... I think of yes, but I also like experimentation. I used to hate it when I was younger, but as you get older, you kind of appreciate when an artist goes far left, just... Yeah, I mean, with this Coloratura, and I mean, from what I heard, because they dropped pretty much a musical preview of it on the Instagram mm -hmm. in terms of little snippets of the songs, it almost sounds like they're taking elements of Milo Zylido, they're taking some elements of their last record, Everyday Life, but then they're also taking some of that really familiar old grassroot Coldplay sound from Parachutes, Rush of Blood, and maybe even a little X and Y based on kind of the whole space, ethereal nature of things. So I feel like it's an accumulation of almost all of their sounds up until this point, with the exception really, I guess, of ghost stories. So would you say an amalgamation of not only their past, but like their best works? Yeah. Or what you perceive to be the best works? Yeah, because a lot of people really liked Everyday Life, and I, I did as well because of that experimentation that you're talking about, the fact that they did go outside of even their box into gypsy jazz on like arabesque, for example. Um, Trouble in Town sounded very much like a, a Peter Gabriel track in a big way. Um, the actual closing track, Everyday Life, is a fantastic ballad that should have gotten a lot more attention than it did. I mean, Chris and the piano on a ballad track, I feel like it's almost an unbeatable combination. I feel like that's where he's most comfortable so that's kind of where this coloratura came in and gave him some of those times to breathe. But then it had that uplifting chorus and that mid-tempo-ness of something off of Rush of Blood. And actually, it gave a lot of the other band members room to shine. Johnny's solo on coloratura was fantastic. Kind of how I felt with Up and Up, where he had that great solo. Also, Noel Gallagher on that record, too. So Johnny does the first solo, and then Noel does the second one. So he's on there for like just a moment, but then he's gone. But anyway, I'm really, really excited for it. Just based off of what I've heard, I think it's going to be an album that I really like from what I've heard so far. I'm less worried about the Max Martin production, especially after hearing Coloratura, where they're still keeping the integrity of their sound. It's not like a David Foster Chicago situation where the complete sound of the band went 180 and it was really more of just Foster and Satara. And the rest of the band was on the back burner. Oh, I hate the era so much. <laughs> I mean, it made them a ton of money. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you, oh. cannot you cannot deny the chart 
They ruined. Uh, it's you, such you a, can't it's such a shame that Terry had to go out. You can't. Den- I mean, well, Terry died, so I mean, it I wasn't know, like I he know. left. He died, but still, you can't deny the the success on the charts and with the general public of the Foster era. But because it became so focused on Satara, it's to the point where Satara hasn't even played with them for like 20, 30 years. Satara used to be a wonderful addition to Chicago, and then just having his ultimate reign just ruined it. Yeah, because actually Satara is a decent bass player. Decent. Bro, everyone talks about John Paul Jones. I, I say Satara. Satara's good. He's pretty good. Yeah, like on beginning, some of those, mm-hmm. some of that early Chicago stuff. Or with listen. That bass- all those bass lines. Oh, yeah. that's so good. Yeah, exactly. We, we can, can talk we, about that we can, all day. Exactly. We can nerd out on individual bass lines. He's almost in my top 10. He, he kind of is and kind of isn't because there's so many great basses out there. But he was really good for Chicago's style of music being that jazz rock fusion. I heard some of the jazz influence. He sung uh, in uh, Feeling Stronger every day, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But yes, you're right. It went from one of the greatest bands of all time, in my opinion, to just 80s, mush. 80s synth pop is what and, it was. And even when they were mush, people loved them. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, what kind what, of band can do that? I almost right. feel like almost no band can really, really do but, that. But I mean, they did kind of usher in that power ballad era of the 80s with like Ario Speedwagon and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly that 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 snare that snare and it's and those you know like and Sting and Phil Collins loved that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I felt and like then Disney movies just like, hey, let's use this stuff for Frozen our, our movies. Frozen Two, bro. Frozen Two, that one song, um, Lost in the Woods, sounded exactly like a Peter Cetera era Chicago song, which wow. I thought was hilarious. Thinking of more ways to make that movie even worse than already was. <laughs> <laughs> wow all right yep. back uh, all right anyways Walking on ice r- right i guess but anyways back to new music billy eilish finally dropped her album nda or happier than ever excuse me nda is a single off of that album mm-hmm. no but happier than ever billy eilish i've heard some of the tracks i did hear nda what i found interesting was at least for when she dropped it on spotify she gave like three different experiences of listening to the album there was a mode of like how the album was originally intended. There's one that's a deep dive into the lyrics where you get the song and then you get Billy's commentary on the lyrics. And then there's like a fan mode too or something. I actually find that rollout almost more interesting than the music itself because that whole idea of giving fans uh, different, like it's a choose your own adventure, but with music. Which that's not necessarily new because I know that Kendrick Lamar, for example, um, with his last record, uh, Damn, he had the narrative, he had the album in its original form, which was how a lot of people experienced it. And then he re-released it where it's the same album, but it's in reverse and it starts with the last track and it goes in reverse to play into that whole narrative thing. And I think also kind of throwing back to, you know, a lot of the conspiracies and a lot of the intrigue that was in Beatles records in terms of like playing them in reverse and getting like secret coded messages or even like uh, Queens of the Stone Age uh, songs of, for the deaf, how on some tracks you reverse it and you get secret messages of like, you know, he's right behind you. Like I think uh, Led Zeppelin's the most notorious for that. It's always Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. Those are like the two biggest for that. Right, because I feel like they they were really ACDC is a lot more overt, so yeah, not surprised there. Right, but Led Zeppelin <laughs> and the Beatles really were album bands. They were more like studio album bands. The difference was is that Led Zeppelin actually toured their music that they made right in the studio, unlike the Beatles, who only went till sixty five mm. touring, and then they're like, nah, screw it, 
will just stay in the studio and craft up masterworks until their eventual fallout and let it be. Which actually, Let It Be is a fantastic album, actually. Mm -hmm. Despite all the drama, it's kind of like rumors in that way. It's compositionally great. Yeah, it's kind of like rumors in that way where like, you know, despite the tensions of the band and where they were, they somehow still produced great music despite all of that. That, I I mean, that kind of was common with a lot of records where all that tension, you know, they would release like a great record. And actually some bands, they would release a really good record and break up right after. Right, exactly. Um, Pixies are kind of yeah. similar. I wouldn't say the last record was their best. No. But really great artistic, you know, just an amazing band. And then they're just like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Right. And they just, so, well, at least the bassist left. Kim Deal just right. said, yeah. But I mean, come on, if you have a, if your bass player leaves and that's going to cause some problems because really rhythmically, no, I'm no, I'm serious. Like sure. in terms of pop and rock music and just music in general, if you don't have a really solid rhythm section with a bass and drum, your band's not going to do anything. It's just not uh, because everything else you try to layer on top of it, it's just not going to work. But back to Billy in terms of these different. We'll get back to the Pixies later because yeah, I have but, a lot to but, say. But them. back to Billy in these different modes and almost like these different curated experiences of people to experience this album. I feel like that could maybe set a precedent for other artists to maybe decide to rearrange their albums to... I think it's consumer bait for Spotify to stay relevant. Wow, elaborate on that take. That's I know. Pretty, that's, I know. That's, no, pretty, no, that's I know. pretty hot. When I see this stuff, I, that's see a hot ag- take? Damn. I see aggressive marketing. Okay. Not that I haven't seen in other areas, but I really see like Spotify's like... I really want you to like stay with us. And I'm like, well, why can't? No, just stay with us. Like we have these super cool experiences for you. And I feel like eh, it personally ruins the experience for me when we're trying to make it as over the top as we can. Right. And sometimes that happens, especially digitally. Mm. It's cool that we have digital means to do things, but there is something about having a physical book, vinyl and all of that. Mm. So the you digital feel, experience yeah. is cool, but I still feel like it's not at that level where it really feels like it can surpass it. Maybe for Generation Z and maybe for what? Generation Alpha? Is that what it's called? I, I have no idea. Whatever. What Who is, whoever is after the Z, maybe they will like it in a way that older people won't. But I feel like they're trying a bit too hard with it so basically and this is not about the music this is more about the packaging right because undoubtedly the music is going to blow up regardless of how the album's released watch me do this later on down my career right exactly watch do the exact same thing right multiple experiences and, I'll, <laughs> and then i'll point back to this this particular podcast july 30th oh, 2021 be like hey isaac didn't you say that that was a gimmick way back in <laughs> <Right>? the day <laughs> Didn't you? Well, I know how to make fun of myself, so I'm I'm cool with it. I mean, I, I mean some I, people will deny it, but I'm like, no, I did say that. But I mean, I guess you could do it from an ironic standpoint. I could do it ironically, but people could say, oh, well, you're doing it intentionally. But, well, right. But in other words, I kind of feel like it can distract from the music because, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to package it up like this. We're going to aggressively market you and, mm-hmm. and show you why this is a great experience. But for me, I'm like, okay, but is this a cover up for the music not being up to par? So for me, I, I, I purposefully put I, that in the back of my mind. Sure. So I can just listen to the music. Sure. And judge the album for what it is. And then if yeah. it's good or bad, my judgment isn't clouded by, oh, the super cool visual experience. Like, whoa, like everything. Yeah. So sure. that, that's why I'm wary of it. But I think it's cool. It can enhance the experience. Yeah. I'm just 
you know, worry about and it. I, and I'm not sure if it's really a cover up for the music because, I mean. It, I didn't say it is, but it yeah. can be. No, I, I get you. Because I have seen where they'll market an album and they'll put all these things to make it seem nice. I mean, you know, some artists will send gift boxes like Olivia Rodrigo. She did that with people. and Oh, John Mayer did it too with his last yeah, album. Yeah, and I think it's cool, but it's all about packaging and not so much about the content anymore. Dude, please tell me. I'm not the only one that notices this. It's like the albums are packaged in this really cool look or like mm-hmm. the, the shirts are great. And I'm like, yeah, but what about the music? Right. Oh, it's a great album. Like, is it? Or is it just because the marketing is good? Yeah. I mean, you kind of bring up an interesting point with the... So marketing. This is about yeah. marketing. Right. Exa- exactly. I mean, but I mean, marketing is so huge in terms of which artists are going to pop off and which ones are not, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that emphasis in marketing is just part of the culture at this point. And I think that the bell can't be unrung at that point. But I do think that some artists are consistent. Right. I actually think that Kanye has been consistent with that, where he has crazy marketing. You know what I mean? He's so over the top. I think that he's one of those artists who is very visual about his marketing and trying to make it look all good. Right. And I think his um, what we're going to talk about, quality control, that was what we were going to talk about, which we can still get into that. Well, absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's more like his marketing is pretty over the top. But then his music, you know, most people are like, hey, I like it. Even if you hate Kanye. Right. He's a pretty good artist. Yeah. But I feel like Billy's career is so tiny at the moment. Right now. You know, she did it with Where Do We Go When We Fall Asleep. Yeah. Which it wasn't that crazy of an album. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't crazy. No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like completely. I mean, some people, and this is an interesting point. Some people do view that album as like super groundbreaking and whatnot. But the marketing was good. Mm hmm. I think the marketing gave the impression that the album was more groundbreaking than it actually is. That's what I'm talking about. Actually is, yeah. I'm not demonizing marketing as it is, but what it can do is sometimes, and even Coldplay is really good with the marketing. Yeah, yeah. I could totally easily see them swaying people into like an album being great when in my opinion, I'm like, okay, but is it actually good though? Yeah, and then of course you you brought up Kanye, who's now in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium finishing up his album. He talked about a marketing publicity stunt where the man hosted a listening party for an album that wasn't even finished. He does have mishaps with that. But maybe he does it on purpose. The album wasn't even finished. But maybe he does it on purpose. We don't know. Well, I, I Maybe we're the experiment. Well, I, I would have to think that just because, I mean, that album is slated to come out next week on the 6th. We'll see if it actually does because Kanye is notorious for being late in terms of releases. Um, I think he just trolls people. But I mean, I think that that could be also in his in his marketing. But I mean, in terms of quality control as well, I mean, I would prefer for him to take more time and to have something really great come out rather than not, especially because of so many albums that he has actually scrapped in the past that have resurfaced online, such as Yandi, which was an album that was supposed to come out after Life of Pablo, but got scrapped in favor of his born again christian gospel vibe on jesus is king that Um, i do not think was a publicity stunt no i think that he was actually serious about that and he he stayed to it but i do think that we missed out on what yandi could have been and so many people are saying that you know it's probably one of the greatest albums that wasn't released and that can affect the overall stance you know how uh, they say distance makes the heart grow fonder Mm. Well, you could retranslate that into ignorance makes fans overhype things. Right. So you don't know how it sounds. You're like, well, that's probably the greatest album of all time. Right. That never existed, yeah, but it so never, to speak. Well, in, in the case of the, the Kanye album, it got leaked online, basically, right. in snippets. Or and- uh, when Wu-Tang, they released that album where they just sold it to one person. 
Yeah, Remember yeah, that? yeah, and the one that and then it got bought by Martin Shkreli Pretty and much. all that. That's actually a very good segue into the idea of quality control amongst these artists. And- you can touch on the billing now, though, because I still think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I can't talk too much about it just because I haven't heard much of the record. So I don't really know if the music is really stacking up in that way in comparison to uh, her first record. From the singles that I've heard off the album, I think there's a lot of promise. I think the fact that she is kind of going in different directions, especially with NDA being more of a hip hop direction. Which I guess it doesn't really surprise me because, you know, some people made those comparisons even on Bad Guy and whatnot. But I just think that, you know, it's definitely a factor in their overall quality. And with artists at a certain level in a certain bracket, so to speak, I think that no matter how they release it, it's going to be perceived as a quality album just because there's so many people that buy into the brand. Mm -hmm. Which is why your marketing does matter. Exactly. A great example of this is some of the stuff that's happening recently with Taylor Swift. Oh, she's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah, right. she's pretty, right. uh, she's pretty um, yes. on top of that marketing for sure. Right. And she's pulled experiments such as having collectible versions of albums, special versions of things that are sold on her website where you have to almost collect all of them in like a Pokemon situation where I you feel have- like she's going to be, I, I haven't heard of it yet. So maybe I'm going to say this and then find out after and people are going to be like, oh, I told you so. Well, I don't know if she's in an NFT yet. Oh, she's going to definitely get that. She would be that kind who she's ha- if definitely, she do- if she oh, has dude. not done it yet, oh, she dude. would be that girl. I, I can do it. Oh, dude, I can I can sense that she's going to get in the NFT game <laughs> probably sooner rather than later. And because, Taylor, because of because if the Kings of Leon can get into the NFT game and make a killing, there's no reason why Taylor Swift can't do it. Because Kings of Leon made a pretty significant bag just off of that album being as an NFT exclusive. The possibilities with Taylor Swift are kind of endless in the NFT space. So, yeah, I would be shocked if she hasn't been getting into it. But I I personally think she's crafting something. I personally think that that's what's going on. But really, the quality control thing with Taylor Swift is really more of the last few albums being in this folky independent thing, but also the re-recording that she's doing of all of her existing work because she doesn't own those masters. So it's more of a a business move, a business pull on her side of things. But I think that that's a. a Have you heard of Sarah Brand? Who? Sarah Brand. No. Okay. Well, Well, what about what about it? Okay, I guess we'll get into this. Um, Yeah, yeah, let's open it up. Why not? I'm trying to talk without being vicious, but long story short, there's a song. I don't know if you heard of like the Red Dress track. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess she did produce it. Okay. Uh, It's not really up to par as a singer you know you would you'd probably hear this and think that she's not much of a singer and i could say some positive things about it but i think what made me laugh the most is the video okay the people in the video their facial expressions just maybe lose it but mm-hmm. this video is circling all throughout online uh-huh. and while i think that some people are stretching it by saying it's a new rebecca black i actually kind of like rebecca Mm-hmm. She wasn't that bad. I think she got screwed with uh, that whole, you know, that trying to be famous as a kid type oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, but that was, it's funny because that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And did you see what she did recently? She went into like Japanese almost hyper pop. It's very. <laughs> I blame BTS. <laughs> it's very odd in terms of the direction that she went in. But I, she, I blame BTS and baby metal and all those. Y- oh, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, you want to talk about like the effect of a music video and a visual accompaniment in terms of quality. Dude, you got to you got to see this if you have it. Um, James Blake put out a recent song and he's going to put out a new album. He has a song called Say What You Will. 
it's a great ballad, but it's very much in that James Blake style, very down-tempo sure. R&B. But the whole video is a satire and critique that Phineas is the more successful version of James Blake. And there's this whole thing where like James Blake is selling out or Phineas is selling out concerts. And then James Blake is on the same marquee and it says plenty of tickets still available <laughs> or, you know, being in line for like TSA security. Phineas goes right by, gets, you know, all the props from the security. And then James Blake gets strip searched in the back. Because, I mean, in a way, James Blake did do it first in that down-tempo, very sad, melancholy R&B. He, he and The Weeknd really popularized that sound forward. So you really got to check out that video. But, I mean, I think that he's one of the guys that, like, kind of is... So I need to check that video out. Yeah. You said you listened to Red Dress, right? You've listened to the Oh, no, the I, haven't, oh, no I haven't seen it. So, yeah. I, I need to, so I need to check that out. You need out, to check that out. On. Yeah, I mean... It, you know what would be kind of sick if we got her as a guest? <laughs> No, I'm serious. I thought that would be kind of cool. You know, I was watching it and I was like, you know, it'd be kind of rad to get well, here and, and like, yeah, talk I mean, and I mean, it's and kind of hear her take on things and what, you know, what everyone else is. You know what? It's it's doable, bro. I mean, let's make it happen. Um, but quality control, you kind of were ending with Billy. Yeah. You know, she only has two albums out. Mm -hmm. You said you kind of like the hip hop direction that she's going in. I do. But you get back to the QC stuff because I think it'd be kind of cool to hear your take on who you think is really good with that quality control. Because Billy's, you know, it's too young of a. Yeah, career. I mean, I mean, Ye has been good with that. I think Kendrick has been exceptionally good with that. Kendrick has been exceptional with that. Exceptional. Yes. I mean, yeah. arguably, they say that Kendrick is the radio head of rap, and they've made direct comparisons as to which albums are which. Um, you know what? I mean, yeah, I know why they're saying that. I think it's a bit of a stretch, mm -hmm. just a bit. But mm -hmm. Kendrick is respectable enough where I totally he's held in that regard, though, in the hip hop community, and to the point where it's been four years since the man's dropped an album. But people really don't care because they know as soon as he drops it, right. it's going to be something that's going to disrupt not only hip hop, but potentially the music industry as a whole, as we know it. Someone who's been really good. I mean, I think. And well, here's the thing, because he is quality. He has quality. He yeah. also doesn't march to the beat of people. Right. Exactly. So that's that. Those are definitely Radiohead like, and, you know, and it's funny qualities. that, you know, we talk about quality control because there actually is a hip hop label called quality control. And that's the label that the Migos are under. So that's a very good example of really not living up to the name, especially with some of the last releases being quantity over quality. So I think it's kind of ironic that that's the label that they're under personally. But I think someone who's been really good in terms of actual quality control, who just dropped an album recently, is Tyler, too. Especially with this, like... <laughs> I'm going to say the title of the album backward again. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the call me if you get lost thing. I remember that well, last it was, time. It is call me if you get lost. Did, I say, did I say if you, if you get lost, call me? That's right. <laughs> That's right. That'll be the deluxe version he puts out later. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> I would laugh so hard if he did that. Can you that. imagine? I mean, he, I mean, he would just because Tyler's kind of an unorthodox guy in that sense. Yes, he is an unorthodox, yeah. But I think with this three-album streak that he's had recently, I think that he's really balanced that quite tremendously. So I don't know. I feel like some of that quality control, I think, has been happening in like hip hop more than a lot of other genres, because I mean, those are kind of the first artists that come immediately to my mind in terms of someone who is putting out consistently good quality records, or as many people say, they don't miss. That's the terminology on, on the internet now. And that even means that maybe it's not their best record. Like they can't all be equally great, but they're passable. That's correct. And like, what's Radiohead's worst? Oh, Pablo, right? Yeah. Uh, or King of Limbs. No, it's gotta be. No, it's probably Pablo because 
that's an album that the band hates. And that's a band that, or not a band, excuse me. That's an album that the- We're all human. That's the album that the fans despise, but the fans only despise it because the band despises it. And did you check out that slowed down version of Creep that's like nine minutes long from Tom York? I have still successfully managed to escape that, so I need to listen to it. That that whole slowed down trend thing and and making- I guess I need to get trapped by it, so to speak. Right, and then, yeah, making Creep even- But I'm not falling for any other traps. I'll I'll do it for this one. Making Creep even worse than it already- and then it already is. But do I the, really want to hear creep even worse than it already is? Do I really want to? Uh, for the sake of the trend, maybe you should just because, I uh, mean, if you call yourself a, a dedicated Radiohead fan, you probably have checked out because Tom York also put out, a you know, some solo records, um, you know. Radiohead's in my top 30, so I don't really consider myself the biggest Radiohead guy. But I feel like the fact that they are in my top 30 yeah. means that I do really like them. Yeah, of course. But I mean, back to the whole idea of the quality control thing. I mean, in hip hop, you see a lot of it, I think, recently um, between Tyler, the creator, between Kendrick Lamar. I know we've I know we said Kanye, didn't you? I did say Kanye. Yes. Although it's been on and off with Kanye a little bit. Sure. Just because he had that really good streak in basically the the 2000s all the way up to 2010 with uh, Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And then some of the stuff after that was kind of hit and miss. There were some things on Yeezus that I appreciated. Life of Pablo, the fact that he released that pretty much unfinished, I kind of wasn't for. And then some of the stuff he did with like Cuddy and whatnot was better. So he's he's been doing that. Someone who really has not been doing a lot of quality control in the hip hop space. Is- Lil Wayne. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. But in relation, Drake as well. I would say Drake. I was going to mention him, but I knew you would mention him. Drake, to me, is somebody who, at the start, you know, it, it's funny because he was under Lil Wayne's wing, basically, at the start of his career. But then he had a few really solid projects, which were the Take Care, Nothing Was the Same, um, If You're Reading This, It's Too Late. Those three albums were actually pretty good. But then from Views on, so Views, More Life, Scorpion, and, I mean, obviously we'll have to see with his new album, if he drops it, Certified Lover Boy, how that's going to stack up. But pretty much from views on, I felt like it's been more about the bag, even more than the quality of music. In fact, the Tusi Slide is a perfect example of that because he made that intentionally to be on TikTok and he made that intentionally to go viral on TikTok and it worked. He got the bag. It was a challenge. And then, of course, you get into the, him trying to be a UK artist with saying man this and man that. It's like, no. That just doesn't work. And and I love it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, who told Drake, hey, you know what? You rapping in this English accent. Yeah, that's really good, man. That's really good, mate. That's fantastic. No, nobody said that. And you know what? None of his, <laughs> you know what? None of his British rapper friends are going to tell him that either. They're going to be like, no, it, it, no, it's good, man. It's all right. You know, I can't stop thinking about those gentlemen you showed me. Oh, the Pete and the Pete and the Pete and Boz guys—they're so the, good, the old men. Yeah, I, I actually I love it. I actually found another UK artist um, who's more in like the chill UK scene. I'll have to show you some music. His name is Sant. Um, like it's Saint, but with an E, so it's like Sant. Okay. Um, it's pretty. Croissant. I know it's French, right? Yeah, but it, it's pretty good though. It's it's kind of it's not it's it's a different take on UK rap than drill. Because so it's not drill. It's not drill. No, it's not. It's like UK chill music. Trill, kind of. 
Yes, because like it's it's like wait. So is this a is this a newer concept in music than like old drill? Is it a, more like a an evolution of drill? No, be, or is it like a really past old? No, it, it no, it's it's just a different flavor altogether. Because some of the stuff in drill kind of carries over. Maybe some of the slang, maybe some of the overall. But are they like neck and neck as far as like history, or is chill this chill drill? Is it more like an evolution of it? Like a, it's it's more re- it's more recent. So it is more recent. It's more recent. Yeah, because UK drilling on the up and up. Yeah, because UK drill and grime has been around for a long time. Right. It only recently kind of got mainstream here in the u.s and, yes. I, and i say very recently mostly because of like pop smoke well if we're talking about it my philosophy is maybe it's been like around for 10 or 15 years at least if we're talking about it absolutely but this this whole thing that he, that he's doing is is a lot different than that some of the flow structure might it sounds be, cool already anything with chill in it it's yeah like, some of the some of the flow chill for, with me you know yeah i'll have to i'll have to pull something up for you but anyway but back we're to what quality uh, quality control. Yeah. Yeah. But back to back to Drake. Yeah. You know, I know that the man has a cult like following in terms of his fans, people calling him six God and all that. But in terms of the recent quality, I'm like, this was somebody who I could rock with for a while. But then as it became more evident that he's more about the bag, I'm kind of like, eh, even if he comes through with a great feature on a track, I'm just not as excited about it anymore. I don't know if he has quality control down. I don't think, well, he, the thing is, how many albums does he have? Unless we're going to talk about mixtapes and stuff like um, that and singles. Well, yeah, because I'm, I'm not going to count the, I'm not going to count. I feel like, I'm I not going to count like, the mixtape. Because how many albums does he have? Let's see. Um, there's the one that, there's the Studio. one. Studio. Yeah, there's like, um, there's like the Thank Me Later. Um, there's uh, Take Care. There's Nothing Was the Same. There's Reading This Too Late. Um, views. Oh, more than I. Thought. Yeah, views. Um, more life was kind of like an album, but it wasn't. Okay, it was, scratch that. But five, at least five studio yeah, records. At least six, because you have six. to count. You have to count. So, Scorpion. would you say Scorpion. the string? If you ran a, a quality string between them, like through them, would they fluctuate or would they be pretty straight? It would be. It there would be some fluctuation. Okay, so not as much as some of the other ones we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think even if in terms of uh, you want to talk in quality control and kind of circling back. Um, that is something that I think that Coldplay actually does pretty well, despite the fact that they have gotten continually criticized heavily for different directions and sound. I think the reason why they've maintained relevance for like 20 years now. I might respectfully disagree with you there. And I know we both love them, but. Well, but I mean, you have to admit at least that name me another band <laughs> who's actively making new music that's still relevant 20 years after they formed with their original lineup you have me there exactly well that's true we're gonna go by an album by album basis okay no 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 no, think about it no (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna put that string just like a you know like a sewing needle we're gonna put it right through i think we would have some fluctuation because i mean my legs i love is probably not one of your favorites or is it uh, it has a soft spot for me, but that's just because more of time of life that I was listening to that album in. So there's some of my most nostalgic albums are albums that I have to, I have acknowledged are not really that good compared to the rest of the catalog. Yeah, but you rank it up there because of the sentimental value. It of course, let's try our best not to do that because that's right. kind of the part of it. I think they're a good band. Yeah, and still one of my favorites. I don't think I'd put them in quality control. Not like Radiohead, where even Radiohead's not even my top twenty. Coldplay's in my top five. Right. And I'm not even that big on Radiohead. Mm. But when I listen to a record by them, yeah. 
it just reeks of quality. Oh, yeah. Coldplay's good, but the 2010s were not nearly as consistent in quality. Like, we can talk about production. Like, the production went through the roof. It's really good. The, yeah, they always have great production. Production's fantastic. But compositionally, I feel like I've noticed the boys um, slipping a bit. Okay. I can see what you're saying from there. So that's I, kind I, of I, like I, my I would, bag I, with Coldplay. I, I would agree with you. I, I think a, a lot of the songs that are definitively Coldplay, some of the songs that really straddled that line well between commercial success, but also still being really good songs that were true to their sound, yeah. were pre-2010. I do agree with you on that respect because you can name so many songs off of those, what, first four records? They're classics. Yeah. Even X and Y, as much as people kind yeah. of brag on that, it's a, that's you, a you, certified classic. Yeah, you can name a lot of songs off of those first four records, basically up till Viva, that still hold really, really well by many people's standards. Mm-hmm. And so I do see that. I do see that from like a compositional and songwriting point of view, the quality of that has probably diminished a bit now that being said i do think they're still making much better music than a lot of what's out there for somebody at that popular level i think they're still making sure a better product but But quality means from themselves to themselves we are comparing the artist to that same artist yeah but not to everyone else but i do but i do see what you're i do see what you're you're saying with that and in the sense that like from a songwriting and structural standpoint there's been a diminish in quality there now when it comes to a lot of these pop punk acts that we love listening to so like the late aughts not like the blink 182 punk but more so the paramore and you know Mm -hmm. all that stuff yeah Um, I don't think Paramore has that quality control for sure. I actually don't even think Panic has it. No, Panic, no. no, Panic doesn't. And I don't think Fall Out Boy has it either. Nope. I think a lot of those bands that were, you know, kind of tr- a flash in the pan. I mean, I, I, I tremend- grew up with them. Yeah. I liked no, them. No, I, I agree. Even All American Rejects, you know, I really liked Move Along. Like, yeah, of course. You know, the Academy is, who are actually really good. I like them. I like Cartel, but their quality control is bad. No, it burnt. No, they burnt. Like they, these bands were good for maybe one or two, maybe even three records. And then they, yeah, they fizzled out. Exactly. And that's stuff I'm like nostalgic and emotionally attached, but it's like, dude. Yeah, I, I would say even a band that rose above all of that in that same period, Green Day, had that problem too. And is still facing that problem of quality control. I consider Green Day more in the vein. They're not the same because people are going to get mad. Like, oh, they're not the same. I know they're not the same, but they're still more in the Blink-182 era. Okay. That's like the, um, you know what I mean? There are different emo and pop punk eras. Yeah. Green Day was a little more seen than like Blink was. No. All the Paramore-like bands were a new era. Yeah. But I still think that like Green Day had a pretty good quality control because they were around since the early 90s or late 80s, early 90s. You know, that's when Dookie came out. That's when a lot of those groundbreaking things for them came out because a lot of people said that. Did you like Nimrod? Yeah. Yeah. Nimrod's a solid album. Um, No, that's a solid album. I I wouldn't say it's their best. Like, I mean, I mean, Dookie's just at that high level because honestly, there's a lot of people that say that pop punk wouldn't have been as big as it was if it wasn't for Green Day's Dookie because that was one of the first definitive pop punk albums that came out. And it's very odd because it came out in 94. I think of, Pistols are kind of pop punk, but that's just me. Uh, okay, fine, fine. But no. I honestly, when you listen to like Ramones and all that stuff, the irony is punk was pretty poppy. I mean, Ramones, I can see Ramones being a pop punk band. I can see Ramones being like the first true pop punk band. I think they're but, definitely but, pop punk. But that's just because they crossed over in that way. 
in a comparison to a lot of the quote-unquote true punk bands such as you know your uh, a black flag or yeah black flag um a, a dead kennedys or something like that where dead the, kennedys for sure yeah. yeah i mean a lot of those bands didn't want to be commercial like they i think the germs too germs yeah, didn't want to a lot of a lot of those bands did not want to be commercial they made it like their mission to not be commercial unlike how the, ironic right <laughs> right Unlike the Ramones or the Misfits too is a great example. We will have to dedicate so many podcasts to punk because this is a great topic. Yeah, no, it's fan- no. If you want to get in the history, we got to talk about X too. Yeah, exactly. If you want to get in the history of punk music, definitely it's it's definitely a, a good segue. And there's a lot more history to it than even what people you know assume to believe. But no, I think the Ramones, they at least from what I understood anyway, they were completely content with being a commercial pop punk band we're not too underrated right exactly i didn't think that at least from what i can tell that it wasn't like johnny ramone was upset about their commercial success unlike a lot of these other bands where you like even with sex pistols if you talk to like johnny rotten or sid vicious they'd be like you know they don't want to be commercial they're making music to be edgy you know and whatnot and that's the reality of things but i mean i think the ramones kind of did the whole pop punk thing first mostly just by crossing over mm-hmm. but i think green day was kind of one of the first to like intentionally be a pop punk yes band. and really succeed it well yeah and um, intentionally do it and then they had a great string of albums themselves in the 2000s mostly american idiot and 21st century breakdown both of those albums I still hold in very high regard today, despite the fact that production-wise, especially more on American Idiot than 21st, some of the production is a little dated on American Idiot, but it does sound like a mid-2000s album. So, like, I'm going to, you know, just to so get that bandaid off because you'll hate me for this, I never really liked Green Day, however. Mm. I do think they're one of the greatest bands of all time, and yeah, they have a lot of songs that I really like. It's yeah. just more of a preference. yeah. For some reason, I like artists that go, where are you? I don't know why. I like it. I just do. It's yeah. just, it's whinier. For some reason, I like whinier pop punk. But so, I think so Billy you, is a much better singer. And I think he's, yeah. he's much more fit for songwriting. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a great frontman. Yeah, exactly. But I think that was quality control that went out the window. Weezer too, in a lot of ways. Uh, Weezer. It's such a shame. Weezer had a really good streak going, especially in the 90s. Um, but how long did that last, though? We kind of talked about this in like the previous or I don't yeah. Know well, I mean, because you had I think it was episode two or three. Sure, because you had Blue Album, then you had Pinkerton, which wasn't a success initially, no, but then became like a big sentimental album because even Rivers Cuomo hated Pinkerton at least at the start. He wanted to forget about Pinkerton, but mm. then but then the fans came around, and then he's like, all right, well, I'm going to come around on it too. And then I think the green, was it the green album that Mm -hmm. followed that? I think that was their little streak. I think their quality control is kind of on a poor side. Yeah, but it's weird because some of the the recent stuff that, well, I'm not going to talk about Van Weezer. I think they're, I think they're consistently good, but they're really not that great at getting outside of who, well, they, they have at some points getting outside of who Who they are. Yeah. They, yeah, they've done it before, but when they're good, like really good, they kind of just do the same thing they've already done. Sure. Like, like that kind of like more white album that they released. That was actually regarded by a lot of people as like a, a return to form. Like Foo Fighters are a favorite of mine. Like they're my third favorite, but they don't really do. 
No, they, they haven't. They just stick in their sound, you know what I mean? No, they haven't. They really haven't changed. <laughs> even when they experiment, it's really. Don't even get me started on it. <laughs> don't even get me started on their. Don't even get me started on their Bee Gees cover. Oh, oh no! You know it's funny. As cringy as it is, and it's super cringy. I was. It was. It's the DG. Still, the DGs. It's good. It's just. Oh. It's good and cringy at the same time. It just doesn't make sense. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Like even if they were appreciative of the music, it just. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, and I know that Dave Grohl is probably appreciative of 70s music because a lot of his drumming. <laughs> probably. The dude just lives, breathes, talking about Beatles, talking about Bee Gees, talking about. Oh, he's. Oh, he's and, such a name dropper. I mean, I do the same thing, too, but he's probably one of the biggest name droppers I've heard in like but popular Did music. you see the interview where he said that um, he took a lot of his drumming styles from like the Gap Band and, not like, surprised. and disco? I wouldn't have necessarily picked that out, but I'm not surprised because to be fair, he's not the first rocker to be influenced by disco. Right. We had post-punk back in the 70s. Right. But he but he talks about, you know, even like Smells Like Teen Spirit on, you know, Nevermind, where it has that. Well, I like Tony Thompson, so I like Sheik a lot. Is it Tony Thompson? I, um, I think it's Tony Thompson. I think so. Basically. Oh, you know, um, the I'm coming up. It's funny when you mentioned that. Yeah. I don't know if he was referring to that. Uh, that one is it by Diana Ross? Yeah, Diana Ross. Yeah. Yeah. That. So that reminded me of Teen Spirit, and I think it's why I like that song. And I think Tony Thompson's in that track. Yeah. I can totally hear stuff like that where no, it's a no, really. Yeah. Punchy but, and but no, he just he just talked about like taking actual rhythms from disco records but I'm for, not surprised. for for the Nirvana record. And I think it's been like a little bit of disco, but a lot of punk. Yeah. And maybe to close this out, I mean, maybe that is one of the reasons why rock is kind of in the state that it's in is because you do have evolutions, but then it just kind of fizzles. We have had massive de-evolution in rock. Absolutely. And it has, and, and it it's just, such it fizzles, a shame. It fizzles out. It's to the point where like you have an evolution and it's something interesting and something cool, but then it fizzles out to where it's like a parody okay. of itself. Right. And so Alt J was kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. They were kind of doing different things. And then I noticed the de evolution with them. Yeah. One of the biggest rockers of the 2010s, Tame Impala, kind of does the same thing. Yeah. I do not like Tim Paul that much. My point is everyone yeah. talks about them like one of the greatest in indie rock. But for me, when I listen to it, it's so derivative of like the Beatles. Well, because and, like, Pink Floyd. And well, because all that stuff. well, because, you know, the influences. I know the influences, too. But it's but boring. I know the influence. <laughs> I know the influences, too. But I still really like them because they are at least a little bit different and their heart and their spirit is in the right place. Yeah, it's I mean, not- he's, he's really good at songwriting. Like, his songs are good. I've never... I was talking about this with a friend, and I don't even like Royal Blood that much, but at least Royal Blood are... You know, they took what Foo Fighters were doing. They took what... Um, Queens of the Stone Age. Were doing. Yeah. They took some really cool stuff, and then they went forward with the sound. Yeah. And now, even though they're pretty poppy right now, then really not a favorite of mine, but I like what they're doing. Sure. And there are a few rock bands where you can kind of nitpick and pick them out of this huge crowd of bands of today that are just tired and boring. Well, yeah, because it's it's, boomer rock, which boomers are cool, but I'm just saying it's basically boomer rock. Dude, don't even get me started on GVF. We've already talked about GVF. I guess we we will continue to talk about that. We've beat that GVF horse into the ground. But but that is the landslide, the the de-evolution of rock music in the 2010s for sure. I'm not saying it's going to be the same thing, but. I don't want us to repeat the same thing we did last well, time. I know that, but I mean, like I said, I, I guess I kind of give the the tame thing a little bit of an, a pass just because it He's is so good. Well, 
yeah, it personally resonates with me. But also, sure. I do think that, yes, while they are borrowing heavily from the psychedelic rock period of the 60s and 70s, they are at least modernizing it to a certain extent. Because Currents. Currents was the 2015 one, right? Yeah. That was still really good. I mean, yeah, they're they're modernizing it. It's not something where it's like if I would have listened to it and you wouldn't have told me, I wouldn't have mistaken it for like an obscure 60s or 70s band that never made it. Unlike GVF, where if you didn't tell me that it was a band that was of this decade, I would think, oh, that's a scrapped Led Zeppelin track. That's Probably a- not one of the greatest bands for albums, but Foles, I think, are one of the greatest rock bands of the 2010s easily. All right, I got to check them out, man. Yeah, we I should talk about that, though. Definitely. But anyway, in closing statement, quality over quantity, I think, is going to reign supreme. I think those who... We're going to talk about it again. Absolutely. I think it's going to We haven't it. touched too much in the 70s and the 80s and stuff no, like that. No, we, we definitely got to get there. So uh, stay tuned for that. Part two of Quality Control. This has been the Word Tape Podcast. I'm Mitchell Palmer. Isaac Grover, as always. What's Word Tape it? Podcast forever. That's it. Forever. <laughs>